All right, well, good morning to everyone and welcome to the well here at STSA. Those joining us here in Arlington, those across the screen over in Leesburg, we're happy that you're here today. We are in part four of a series called Happily Ever After. And as you've seen from the very, very start of this series, what we are talking about is five commitments, five disciplines to get to that happily ever after state. Because what we've seen, we talked about from the very beginning, is that it's never been easier to fall in love. Falling in love is easy, but staying in love, that's the challenge and that's what we're talking about. And like every area of life we agreed is that you don't get to success by luck, you get there by discipline and commitment and hard work. So because of that, that's what we're talking about in marriage. And we've talked, so far we've covered three commitments and three disciplines that we are going to commit to in our marriage. Who remembers the very first, the most important commitment in our marriage is to seek God. Seek God. Repeat after me, say, seek God. seek God. Seek God. And what we said is that God is our one, our spouses are two. So if we are single, we will seek the one while preparing for our two. And if we are married, we will seek the one with our two. We will never make marriage an idol. We will never seek a spouse more than we will seek God. We will seek God. Repeat after me. I will seek God. Second commitment is what? Who remembers? Fight fair. Okay, because what we said is that when nations war and there's world wars, there's rules there. So if you're going to fight with your spouse, there's got to be some rules right there. And what we talked about, the most important thing is that we fight not for victory, but for resolution. Because in the end, we're on the same team. And there's no winners and there's no losers. Either we both win or we both lose, but there's no such thing as me against you. Ha, I won. Ha, you lose. Is not how it works. Either we both win or we both lose. Whatever. The conflict is against us. It's us against that conflict. So repeat after me. I will fight fair. fair. Leesburg, I want to hear you too. Again, I will fight fair. fair. Last week, commitment number three, who remembers? Have fun. fun. Woohoo. This one say, have fun. Woohoo. Woohoo! Very good. Who had some fun this past week? All right. Single people should not be too smiling, okay? <laughs> Single people should not be too smiling because we talked about last week there's three kinds of fun. We talked about last week, a best defense is a good offense. So we want to be proactive. We don't want to just minimize the fighting. We want to increase the intimacy because truly that's the long-term solution to a marriage that works. And we said there's three kinds of fun. Number one kind of fun is face-to-face fun. Number two kind is shoulder to shoulder fun number three kind is belly to belly fun and single people you should not be listening to that part of it okay at least you should not be so excited to be talking about that because we ain't there yet single people but we will have fun our marriage repeat after me i will have fun that's pathetic again i will have fun marriage is supposed to be fun people okay Now we are in commitment number four, but before I tell you what commitment number four is, let's do show of hands. I want to do participation right here. Raise your hand if you're already married. Raise your hand if you're currently married. Okay, great. Leesburg, I want you participating too. Put your hands down. Raise your hand if you are not married, but you are hoping that you will be married one day. You think that's in the plans for you, so raise your hand. Okay, single, looking to be married. Single people, look around, keep your hands up. Look around, look around, scan the room. Guys, I'm helping you out. Scan the room, scan the room. Okay, very good, all right. Husband, put your hand around your wife. Make sure it doesn't go up. Okay, very good. There you go, all right? So between both of those, okay, the majority of us raised our hands. Either we're married or, or driving towards marriage. Now another one, show of hands. With, with, with a percentage, it was like 90% of people either married or looking to marry. Raise your hand if you plan to have adultery in your marriage. Anybody? 
Nobody's raising their hand. Oh, this little two-year-old is raising her hand. Okay, that's very bad. I'm so sorry. Okay, I, I asked that question at the wrong time. Wait, nobody's planning for adultery in their marriage? Just a little action on the side? A little, what, what? No, no, it's not part of anyone's five, ten-year plan? That's surprising. Okay, raise your hand. Okay, maybe not a physical affair, but an emotional affair. Anyone planning? Like not to go all the way, but you know, just to, to share too much, then you're like getting a little bit too close. Anybody? Part of their five-year, ten-year plan? Okay, how about anyone planning an addiction to pornography? Anyone saying, like, that's my goal, some kind of sexual pornography addiction that ruins my life? Anybody planning that? Well, let me tell you something that's interesting. That's very interesting to me that nobody raised their hand for any one of those. Because statistics say that 50% of people in America will, go, will experience one of those three throughout their marriage. 50% of marriages will have someone commit adultery, have an emotional affair, or have an addiction to pornography that ruins their marriage. That's interesting to me. Nobody planned for any one of those. How is it possible that something that 0% of people are planning for, 0% of people want to happen, 0% of people say that that's part of my 5-year, 10-year, 20-year, 30-year plan, and 100% of people say is, that is what I'm going to avoid like the plague. That's destructive. I don't want any part of that in my marriage. 0% of people want it. 100% of people say that we never want to see anything like that. Yet somehow, statistics say that 50% of marriage in this country are going to experience one of those three. How's that possible? I'm going to show you a verse. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. It says, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall where theirs thinks. Let him who thinks he stand take heed lest he fall. What that verse is saying, St. Paul, is saying, watch out. Nobody's invincible. Nobody plans to ruin their marriage. Nobody plans to cheat on their spouse. Nobody plans a sexual addiction. Nobody plans any of those things that ruin their lives. Nobody plans them, but watch out because all of us are weak and all of us are susceptible. And there is why our fourth commitment comes in. Our fourth commitment is this. I will stay pure. Repeat after me. I will stay pure. I will stay pure because my purity is something that I need to fight for. Because let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. You guys know this about me. I don't watch the news okay, frequently and I don't follow like social media or anything like that. So pretty much if there's someone who lives under a rock, like head in the sand, that's pretty much me. So I don't know what's current events. But even I know that there's about a sex scandal about every 15 minutes, okay, it seems like. And if I were to ask you to name somebody who was famous, celebrity, powerful, influential, whatever it may be, who had it all, who lost it all because of some sexual impropriety, made a bad, he or she made a bad decision and ruined their life, you could probably name 10 off the top of your head. And I, because I wanted to do the research, I started to look up sex scandals in 2022. And I was mortified by what I saw, so I had to stop. Like, it was becoming disturbing to me of some of the stuff that I was seeing because you got people who got everything at their hands. Like, government officials, people high-ranking, people with money, people with, like, whatever. And I'm, an a I'm a sports guy, so athletes who got the world at their fingertips. But they throw it all away because they didn't guard their purity. So because I couldn't do the research, okay, and I don't know what's modern, I went back to the one that I know very, very well. Anybody remember? I'm going to put some people up on the screen. You guys remember these people? Anybody know these people? You guys know this? Okay, you got to be old to remember these people, okay? Some of you are looking like, oh, yeah, I saw this in my ancient history book, okay, my ancient history class, okay? 
This is former President Bill Clinton, and the year was 1998, where he made some bad decisions with an intern named Monica Lewinsky. You know how it went, okay, for those who were there. I, looking back on it, you look at it and you say, how could somebody, like, sorry to say, be so stupid? How could somebody risk everything? Like, you're the president. They're going to figure this stuff out. Like, this is not going to be hidden. And you threw it all away. You did all that. Why? For something so temporary and something that, that, that like, why you be so dumb? And in case you didn't know it, youngsters, okay, old people, not old people, I'm old people, okay, people like myself, experienced people, whatever you want to call it, it's the right thing to say, is that historians will tell you that this was an inflection point in the history of the United States of America. This was a point, okay, where sexual immorality had been going like this, and this was the point that it changed. Because this was the point in 1998, really in the early 2000s, where we saw adultery in front of us in a very public way by someone that was very well respected, and this is when all bets were off. Because before this, it was a hush-hush thing. This, it became mainstream is what I'm trying to say. So much so that statistics will tell you that the rate of adultery in this country has more than doubled since the year 2000. What it was pre-2000 to post-2000 has doubled. And this was an inflection point. Why? There's even one uh, survey that was, was taken, I think it was in the year 2006, so not long after this took place. And they asked people, is Bill Clinton's morals similar to that of the average American? Did you realize more than 60% of people in this country said yes? That Bill Clinton's morals is the same about the average American. Why is immorality increased so much? Of course, there's lots of things we could say. Okay, of course, if you're going to say why anything is increased, you've got to point to technology. We've got to be fair. Okay, that technology has increased the ability to commit sexual immorality. Okay, it's at your fingertips. All right, and there's websites dedicated to you want to cheat on your spouse's websites dedicated directly to that. And the impurity has risen through that. Also, again, if you're going to say anything, you're going to talk about social media because everything bad in the world has to come from social media, so this has to be there as well. But I will tell you this, that social media for sure has become a conduit to cheating on spouse, on cheating in marriage because there's so often that I hear stories about like, oh, it's just a friend and we reconnected and then it was a high school this. It's easier to reconnect with old people from our past through things like social media. Another factor is, I'm not saying this is bad or good, I'm just saying this is a fact. The average person is marrying later in life than it used to be. And when you have people marrying later in life, again, I'm not saying it's bad, but what that means is it changes the dynamics. Because the longer you have in the dating phase, the more you get used to, I love you, I love you, I love you, I leave you. I love you, I love you, I love you, I leave you. I love you, I love you. Hey, baby, there ain't no one like you in the world. You're the only one for me. You're really number 17 that I've said that to, but baby, you, you. And then I find someone else for so we get used to that, and that has now infected marriages, that we've gotten used to the culture of, I love you, I leave you, I love you, I leave you, I love you, I leave you, and then I love you, and hopefully it works out. All those things are true. But I don't think they are the root, or I don't think they are the most important reason why I think sexual immorality is on the rise and will continue to be on the rise. I think it comes down to this, a sense of entitlement. We, as a generation, as a society, as a culture, if I want it, I'm going to get it. And nothing can stop me from it. If I want it, I'm entitled to it. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. 
So if there's anything out there that can make me happier, 1%, it is my right as an American to be able to have it. And I'll tell you what, if I want it and you, my spouse, you can't give it to me, then it's, it's, not, it's not my fault. It's your fault for not being able to give me what I need. Does anybody, especially parents, anybody think raising entitled children is a good idea? Anybody like hanging out with entitled people? Like, yeah, those people who think they owe, the world owes them. Those are like my, the best kind of people that I like to be friends with. Anybody like that? There's a lot of marriage books these days, relationship books, that talk about like needs of a man versus needs of a woman, needs of a husband. And, and for the most part, those books, okay, they're great books. And it's good to learn. I'm all about learning like how men and women are different and our different needs. I'm all for it. But anytime I talk to a couple, I always caveat it before they read those books and say, you have to approach it in an unselfish way, not a selfish way. In other words, like there, there was a book called His Needs, Her Needs, which, which I think is a great book and it's very enlightening about this is what men need, this is what women need. I think books like that are great. But when I give those to couples or to a couple tells me they're reading it, I will tell them the same thing. Husbands, you read the section on what she needs. Don't read what you need. And wives, read what your husband needs, not what you need. Because the last thing that marriages need today is me reading a book that's saying, oh, as a husband, I do need this. And she doesn't give it to me. That's right. I do need this, and I need this. And look here, Marianne, the book says this, this, and this, and you ain't giving it to me. And then she's gonna turn to chapter three, which says, well, the book said this and this. So we're gonna say, oh, we're incompatible. We're not for each other, because the book said, and you're not, that's not, that, that, that's why we go back to seek God. That was number one, okay? And all of our, our commitments were building on top of each other. And a seek God marriage, okay, I've said this before, you've heard me say this before, I'm gonna say this always, marriage is not about selfish, marriage is about unselfish. Single people, you need to know this that you don't go into a marriage saying, oh, this is great, I'm finally getting all my needs met. No, marriage is not about coming to get your needs met. Marriage is about meeting the needs of others. And you go into marriage saying, I'm here to give, I'm here to sacrifice, I'm here to offer. Not I'm here to take like, woohoo, finally, everything that I ever wanted fulfilled, that's marriage is gonna be a disaster. Marriage is about the opposite. We have a sense of entitlement. We have this sense of, if, if it's from, if it's something that makes me happy, and I will spiritualize it. Isn't, doesn't God want me to be happy? Isn't God my father? He wants me to be happy. And then you find a verse. I told you before, you tell me what you want to do in life. I'll go find you five, four or five Bible verses to, to help you prove it. Because you can find a Bible verse for anything you want. God wants me to be happy. You know the answer to that is? No. Ain't no verse that says God wants you to be happy. You know what God wants? He wants you to stay pure. That's God's will for your life. And you say, is there a verse for that? Yes, there's a verse for that. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3 through 5. This is the will of God, your sanctification. This is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, spells it out, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. Do you hear what that's saying? Because we don't talk about Gentiles today, but we talk about people who, God's people and not God's people. And he's saying, if you, God's people, there has to be a difference between the way you behave and the way not God's people behave. We don't behave the same way as everyone. We're not animals. We're not beasts. You're allowed to be able to say, I want that, but no touch right now. You have to be able to do that. Parents, we have to raise our kids to do that. But when it comes to ourselves, they're a double standard. God says, my will is not that you just be happy and happy and sense of entitlement, little brat. My will for you is you stay pure. You know how to possess yourself and you have self-control. You're not an animal. You're not like the heathen. You're not like the pagans. You're not like the dogs. You're like the horses. You're a child of God. And because of that, we have to be better. 
We have to be better as children of God when it comes to self-control and abstaining from sexual immorality. Now, following along what I said last week, okay, there's offense and there's defense. There's two ways that you fight for your purity. There's an offense, things to do, and there's a defense, things to avoid, things to stop. Usually when we think of purity, we think in terms of defense, things that we should stop doing, but I believe in both, okay? So we need both of those together. Let's start with the defense that's easier to understand. The defensive strategy is given to us in Ephesians chapter 5. Now I'm going to show you Ephesians 5 in a second. For those who have ever attended a wedding ceremony or those who have ever studied biblical passages on marriage, Ephesians 5 is the primary one. Ephesians 5 is what we read at the wedding. In the end, we talk about wives submit to your husbands. Husbands love your wives. That's where it talks about how God has brought them together and it's a sacred thing. So Ephesians 5 is a marriage passage. It's a marriage chapter. And look how he starts off in the beginning of Ephesians 5. He says, but among you, verse 3, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality. He's preparing us for marriage. He's saying, I'm about to give you a marriage sermon, but before, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Remember that, not even a hint of sexual morality. We'll come back to it. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. Let no one deceive you with empty words. That's the world today. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. Do you hear what St. Paul is saying? He's saying, I'm going to do a marriage series. I'm going to talk a marriage sermon. But before I do, please, no hint of sexual immorality. Because of these things, the wrath of God is upon us. And we're not saying wrath of God in a fire and brimstone, Sodom and Gomorrah. That's not our understanding of wrath of God. Wrath of God for us. God is constant. God is love. But what happens is, just like I got these bright lights in my face right now. Okay, these lights are shining. If I put a cover over them, I will experience darkness. It'd probably be a little bit cooler. Okay, it's a thousand degrees with these things. But I will experience coolness, not because the light stopped shining, but because I covered it up. Our view of wrath of God is not that God stopped loving us, but it's that I run away from God and I put barriers between me and the love of God. And if you put enough barriers between you and the love of God, then you start to experience what feels like wrath, what feels like anger. Well, that's the world today. That's the state of marriages today. That's the state of, 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 of single life today. When we continue to walk against God's commands, we put these, these barriers and we feel the wrath of God upon us. It's because we have believed these empty words. We've been deceived by them. So for us, our defensive strategy is this. Not even a hint of sexual immorality. Repeat after me. Say, not even a hint of sexual immorality. That was weak. Again, say not even a hint. Not even a hint of sexual immorality. Do you know what a hint is? Hint is like when you're saying, like, I'm making whatever, just a touch of salt. Just a hint of paprika, whatever it may be. We're saying, my life, not even a hint of sexual immorality in our lives. Now, first, we got to define what sexual immorality. Sexual immorality is more than just being a married man and having sex with somebody else or being a married woman and having sex with somebody else. It's more than just the classic adultery. Sexual immorality 
means immorality in the area of sexuality. So it's bigger than that. Even we know Jesus said that when he said that even if you look lustfully, you commit adultery. So we know it's bigger. So what's the definition of sexual immorality? Humor me here, okay? I'm going to paint an example, give you an illustration that's not true, okay? So nobody start like huffing and puffing and throwing stuff at me. I'm going to draw an extreme example just to illustrate my point. It's dumb, it's silly, but just humor me because it makes my point. Okay, we're playing pretend now, okay? Not real. I am a married man. My wife's name is Marianne. Humor me. Let's say Marianne is traveling for work. The kids are at school. I'm at home by myself. I go to the grocery store to buy some groceries. Let's pretend that would never happen, okay? <laughs> so you know right there, right off the bat, okay? This is not a real story. I go to the grocery store. I'm looking extra buff and extra lean, as always. And a lady comes up to me, an attractive woman comes up to me and says, hey, you're Father Anthony, aren't you? And I say, well, yes, I am. <laughs> and we get to talking in the produce section. Okay, produce sections where lots of stuff could happen. Okay. <laughs> I invite her over to my house. We hang out when the house is empty. We have sex with each other. Did I just commit adultery? Yes. It's pretend. Okay, it's not real. I committed adultery. Now help me out. Again, this is just so obvious that you, you don't need to say it, but just help me out here. Why is that wrong? No huffing and puffing. I know it's wrong. I'm not asking. Okay. Why is that wrong? Why is that wrong? Because what? Because I'm married. Okay. But so what? Why is that wrong? Because she's not my wife. That's the reason. Okay. So in man, it's not wrong, like last week, have fun, we, like have fun, okay? But it's wrong because she's not my wife. And you agree with me, it's wrong to do married people stuff with somebody that you're not married to. Agree? Nobody disagree on that. That's an easy one. Let's say we didn't have sex. Let's say she just came over and we just made out. We didn't have sex, so we made it easy for you. Okay? Is that adultery? Even if we, okay, so let's say we didn't make out, but we just hugged and touched and rubbed and things like that. <laughs> Again, it's pretend. Still wrong? Okay, so let's say, okay, you guys are very strict, okay? You guys, uh, this is America. But let, so let's say we didn't do any of that. Let's say we just took a walk in the park and we held hands and did like this, okay? As we just walked, <laughs> did like this. Is that wrong still? Okay, let's say we didn't hold hands, but we shared like deepest secrets, things that nobody else knows with each other. It's wrong, right? Yes. Why? It's wrong because those things are supposed to be with your wife or your husband. And if I'm doing any of those things with my wife, good. If I'm doing any of those things with not my wife, bad. Everybody with me so far? Okay. Here's the kicker. If you're single, and you don't have a wife or a husband, okay? Yeah. And you're doing those things with someone, it's just as wrong for you too, you know that. Because that ain't your wife. So if you're doing the... And you're the... And you're the... If it's wrong for me to do with not my wife, and you don't have a wife, then it's wrong for you to do. 
and same with the husband. You see how this works? So I'm going to define it this way. Sexual immorality is any sexual gratification outside of marriage. Any sexual gratification outside of marriage. If you're married and it's outside of marriage, easy to see. That's wrong. But if you're single and you're not married and you're going for gratification outside of marriage. And as we know, like I said, Jesus raised the bar because Jesus even said, you know, if you just look lustfully, that's a no-no. You committed adultery. So any sexual gratification, not just sex, the looks, the thoughts, the flirts, the googly eyes. Those things aren't bad. But if we're doing those things with not our spouse, it's dangerous. In other words, what we need to do is we need to change our view of sexual immorality. Let me give you two pictures. Sexual immorality. Think less of a hair and more of poison. Let me explain. You go out to lunch today. Go to whatever restaurant, some place, go to Panera, whatever. You order a soup. You find a hair in your soup. What do you do? It's gross. Okay, buddy, agree it's gross. Okay. Does anyone call poison control though? Like, are you like pumping your stomach or like doing the Heimlich? To, like, you find a hair in your soup. That's gross. You're probably never going back there. Okay, you may comment on their Google reviews, whatever it is. But you're most likely, you're going to live. You're not going to die. You're not going to the ER versus a drop of poison in your soup. If you get a drop of poison in your soup, that's game over. That's the second you discover it, it's like, oh no, I need to take immediate action. Some of us with the hair in the soup, if we're really hungry, we may say, this is gross, but get a couple in extra, okay? <laughs> we see immorality, if we're honest, as a hair in the soup, as like a bad, but like, a, eh, we'll live. When in Rome, it's not the end of the world. And I think God wants us to see immorality, whether you're married or not married, more like poison. That's why he says this. Matthew chapter 5, verse 28 to 30. I say to you, whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And he goes on to say this. If your right eye causes you to sin, this is in the context of adultery. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out, cast it from you, for it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off as well and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than your whole body to be cast into hell. Now, when Jesus is saying, cut off your hand, pluck out your eye, is he being literal here when he's saying those things? I hope not, because then we would look like a funny church, okay? Be like a pirate convention, a one-armed pirate show, okay? So he's not saying it literally, but what is he trying to say here? That this is important. In the context of sexual immorality, He's saying, if there's something that's causing sin, be swift and severe in how you deal with it. Do not dance around the issue. Do not play around with it. It's poison. You see it, you get rid of it right away. You don't play around with poison. You don't say, okay, another spoon. Oh, another taste. <clears throat> and what that means is some of us need to do some plucking and some cutting this week. It may mean, I'm just going, just a bunch of stuff. May mean stop having lunch with that coworker alone. Stop having lunch with that coworker alone. It may mean put a filter on your laptop. It may mean end that Facebook friendship. End it. 
End it. Stop it. End it. It's over. End it. It ain't high school. It's over. It may mean get an accountability partner. It may mean go to confession. It may mean join a support group. It may mean stop wearing that dress. You know you get the attention when you wear that dress. Stop wearing the dress. It means stop twirling the hair. <laughs> what it means is not even a hint. Not even a hint. There's no gray. There's no gray. There's black and there's white. And if there's anything in the realm of sexual immorality, Jesus' command to us is clear. Cut it off. Don't play around with it. Not 5%. Like, give me only 5% poison. Give me only 6% poison. No. There's only with poison or no poison. Cut it off. Now, some of you say, chill out, Father Anthony. Take it easy. I'm good. I'm okay. I'm under control. Take it easy. And what I say to you is, the very verse I started off with, let him who thinks he stand take heed lest he fall. Can you think of people who may have been better than you, stronger than you, smarter than you, who thought they could handle sexual immorality and couldn't? I can think of three people off the top of my head. Tell me, who was the strongest person that ever lived that was written in the pages of Scripture? The strongest per- man? Samson. Samson was the strongest. What was his downfall? Sexual immorality. Who was the smartest person other than Christ, of course? Solomon was the wisest. What was his downfall? Sexual immorality. Who was the most spiritual person? The one that God said, this man has a man after my own heart. You said it up. David. His downfall? Sexual immorality. So unless you're stronger than Samson, smarter than Solomon, more spiritual than David, I wouldn't put my trust in myself. And I tell this to married couple, or to engaged couples all the time, dating couples. I say this, so I'm sure I've said this to you, and if I've said it, you, I tell you, don't be offended. I say this to everyone. I promise I say this to everyone. There are couples that are better than you. I'm not saying that in a judging way. People who are better than you, who have thought that they could make it, and they thought that they would never fall, and they have fallen. And they're better than you. They're better than you. And they didn't. They fell. So please, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Don't play around with poison. Don't play around with poison. Cut it off. And in case you're still not convinced, I got one final analogy. And this one's going to stick in your head, and I'm sorry to do this to you, but in case you're still not convinced, if you're convinced, you can tune out this next one. But if you ain't, think of this. Forget about the poison. Forget about what Jesus said. Cut your hand off, whatever it is. Think of cat poop. Cat poop. The poop from a cat. Think of, in your soup, not a drop of poison, but a drop of cat poop. And not the normal, solid kind. Like, I'm talking about the diarrhea kind, the juicy kind, that leave a stain kind. I'm saying, you go to Panera, you order the soup, you're standing there waiting, they take your bowl, put the soup in, the cat squats down, okay? They slide your bowl under the cat. He goes, poo-poo in your soup, and they give it to you to take. That, ladies and gentlemen, is sexual immorality. You would not for one second take a sip. You wouldn't for one second entertain the idea of cat poop in your soup. You say, this is, this is the dumbest thing. Who in the right mind? I'm telling you. I'm telling you. Can I say honestly? Like I say this honestly? The cat poop will be less dangerous for you than the sexual morality. 
The cat poop will be less dangerous for you than the sexual immorality. Because God, the creator of all things, said that sexual immorality, that stuff will kill you. Even just one spoon of it, that stuff will kill you. That stuff will kill you if you're married. That'll kill your marriage. That'll kill your, your home. That'll kill the blessing of God in your house. You're single. You're trying to build a house with the blessing of God. Why would you put cat poop inside there from the start? If I told you cat poop, now you see why I pluck it out? Now you see why I cut it? Well, that's what the creator of all says. So that's the defensive side. Not even a hint. Not even a hint of poison. Not even a hint of cat poop. If there's cat poop in it, all due respect, all yours, okay? I'm gonna go for the soup with the poopless soup right here. The poisonless soup, I want my soup pure. And I hope you say the same thing. Now let's talk about the offensive side because that's truly, truthfully the key to long-term anything is fighting on the offense. The defense, not even a hint. See it coming, cut it off. The offensive side, let me ask you a question. Given especially that the world today is a, is a impure place, a defiled place, and a lot of us, okay, I'm, I know I'm coming across here and a lot of people may be thinking like, I feel so bad, I'm feeling like, okay, we're gonna talk about what happens if we've, we've okay, so we'll, we'll get there, don't worry. Let's say you say, I'm full of a lot of stuff. Is there anything I can do? Let me ask you a question. If you got a room that's full of darkness, a lot of darkness, very, very darkness, how do you get rid of the darkness? What would you do? Yeah, you'd light a candle. You'd turn on a light. And the more light you insert, the more the darkness flees. Let's say you have a bucket, huge bucket, and it's filled to the brim with dirty, disgusting water. And you want to clean that water, but the bucket is too big for you to dump. How can you get that water out of that bucket? You can start to throw other stuff in. If I take a rock and I throw it in, water's going to splash out. Water, but rock, water, rock, water, rock, water. So the way to get rid of something when it's really dirty and it's really bad is not to focus on the removing, but on the replacing, on the putting in. So we're going to go back to that passage from Ephesians chapter 5 that we just read about, not even a hint. We're going to continue it. And St. Paul gives us the offensive side. He says, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. Walk as children of light. Find out what's light. Find out what's acceptable and put that in. And trust that if you keep putting in good, you keep putting in good, you keep putting in good, the bad will go out. So our offense is simple. Walk in light. Walk in light. Figure out what's light. Walk in that path. Anything that brings light, choose that direction. You say, but I got so much darkness. How do I get rid of the darkness? I can't. I can't come inside you and get rid of all the dirty water. I can't come inside you and get rid of all the dirty. But I can put in good. I can put in light. I can put in clean. And the more you put in, the more that stuff will get pushed out to the side. I'll give you another analogy. Let's say you got a pan, okay, that you've been cooking eggs in or, or tacos or quesadillas or whatever it is that you make in there in the pan. And it's dirty and it's crusty and it's got all kinds of filth all around. You say, I need to clean this pan, but it's been crusty for several days. You say, okay, I'm going to rinse it and I'm going to use it and it'll be clean. Is that going to work? Okay, rinse it twice. Will that work? How you can get a crusty pan clean? It's got to do what? Got to soak that bad boy. You got to put some hot water, put some soap in there and soak it. And then after some soaking, maybe a little crust come off, then you soak it again. You got to leave that thing to soak. Overnight, couple days, some of us, okay, really need to soak. And on the inside, we need to do the same thing. Many of us on the inside, we're like that dirty pan. 
We haven't washed it in a while. We're living like, like, like when we were in college, we never washed any pan, okay? We just became crusty and just lived forever right there. Some of us on the inside, that's how we're feeling. The answer for you is no matter, as much as I want to say, okay, come here, I'll rinse you, you'll be good by the end of the day. That's not how it works. What you need is a soak. Soak in the presence of God. And the more the dirty, the longer the soak needs to be. So what that means practically. My mind. I need to soak my mind in the word of God. I need to soak my mind in the word of God. I don't need, listen to what I'm not saying. I'm not saying go home and read your Bible for two minutes. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying soak. I'm saying if I spend three hours in front of the Netflix, putting in the dirt, and I spend three seconds in front of the Bible, that is not how it works. I need to soak. I need to soak. I need to go deeper in my Bible. I need to go slower in my Bible. I need to have more things, Christian books, okay, spiritual books that allow my thoughts to soak in godliness, in light, and the dark will be removed. My eyes. I need to soak my eyes. Actually, something my father of confession told me Okay, this past week when I went to confession, he told me something very, very beautiful. He said, when you start your prayer, get in front of the cross and just stare at the cross of Jesus for five minutes. Okay, I haven't been able to do five minutes. I'm, just, I'm on like a minute, okay? Because it's very hard to sit in silence and focus on just the cross of Christ. To just soak your eyes in on the cross of Christ. And it's beautiful. We need our eyes to be soaked, okay, in things that are light, not things that are evil. Our hearts need to be soaked in pure, godly environments. So when I'm with these friends, it's not a godly environment. It defiles my heart. I need to put myself, which is why we talk about life groups, and I hope you signed up for a life group, because I need my heart to be in a godly environment. We're talking about godly things. We're making godly jokes, not dirty jokes. We're talking about godly initiatives and godly things, things that matter in the end. I need my heart to be in there. A minute is good. Two minutes is better. Three minutes is better. Again, the pan needs to soak. The pan needs to soak. So how much light are you putting inside yourself? That's the question I'm asking you. Don't just come and tell me, the world is dirty. I got dirty inside me. Tell me how I can fix it. That's not how it works. When something is dirty, the answer is time soaking. I love this verse here, Psalm 119. King David says, how can a young man keep his way pure? Well, the answer is by living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. He's not saying just read the word. He's not saying just hear a sermon once a week on Sunday and then good luck Monday through Saturday. It's not how it is. It's the hidden the word. Soaking inside it is the answer. Because the goal, truthfully, the long-term goal, is not just I'm repenting for what mistakes I've made. It's not just that I avoid certain things. The long-term goal that you should be aiming for and I'm aiming for is that God would change us from the inside out. And change from the inside out means that God, I promise you God can do this and I promise you God wants to do this, can change our desires so that we're not even desiring the evil. Not that we desire it, but we have self-control. That's good. That's a first step. That's where we have to start. But what I'm saying is that God gets me to the point that the things that I once lusted for and longed for, that God changes my desire to match with his. So I'm looking at that and I used to love that and now I'm like, but it's cat poop. And your friends are like, no, it's not. It's like so good, man. And I'm like, y'all don't see it. That's cat poop. 
my desire for attention from someone who's not my spouse, which I used to cat poop, my desire for pleasure, even though I'm not married, cat poop. The world says good, but I say no cat poop. My, 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 my feeling like, you know what, I can never, unless I have this, cat poop, cat poop, cat poop. I want God to change me. I don't want God just to give me self-control to avoid. I want God to change me and how I view it. Think of it as something else, okay? Uh, tea. I don't drink coffee, but I drink tea. A tea bag. Okay, you have a cup of water, and I take the tea bag, and I put it in like that, and I take it out. And then I have a little bit of tea. But that's not the tea that you want. Okay, you want that, okay? Like you want that bad boy to sit in there, and the two tea connoisseurs are like, yeah, and you put the, the plate over upside down, okay, to like let it really stick in there. And then if you were like our moms growing up, you, you do the spoon thing and you squeeze out the extra tea, dirt, okay, to get in there, okay? So like what happens is the longer that tea bag is in there, it changes the water. It changes it. It's not the same. It's got taste. It's got flavor. That's what I want with me. That's what I want with you. I need time in God's presence. Some of us are like a cup of water. We read the word of God for one minute. We pull it out and we're like, why is my life not changed? Why am I weak in front of temptation? Because you're the same cup of water that you started with. You need to soak in God's presence. You need to let that tea bag change the color of the water, change the consistency of the water. Like you need to let that tea bag work. And that doesn't happen in a minute or two minutes. But when that tea bag works, let me tell you, God's greatest desire this is the will of God for you, your sanctification. God's greatest desire is to change our desires, to match his, from impure to pure, from dark to light, from sin to purity. So, recap. Defense, not even a hint. Not even a hint. We're not thinking of sexual immorality as a hair in the soup. We're thinking of it as the cat poop in the soup, and we don't want that cat poop. Not even a hint. Any sexual gratification outside of marriage, whether you're married or not married, not even a hint. Number two, the offense will walk in light. We will not just play defense, we will play offense. Because God has told me the consequences of this sin, of sexual immorality, are greater than the consequences of any other sin. It says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. Flee sexual immorality. Flee sexual immorality because every sin that a man does is outside the body. But he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. God puts sexual immorality in a separate category. You know why? Because your sexuality, okay, regardless of what the world wants to say today, your sexuality is part of who you are. From the very beginning, God created them doctor and lawyer. He didn't create them doctor and lawyer. He didn't create them athlete and musician. He didn't create them tall and short. The defining characteristic of humankind is our maleness, and our femaleness. So if you have sin in your sexuality, it permeates into every part of your being. If you have sin in your career, you're gonna have trouble in your career, but that's kind of isolated over there. Sin in your school, okay. But sin in your sexual, everywhere I go, I bring my maleness. Every part of me, I'm male. So that's why sexual immorality is in the category of its own. And I think, just me personally, okay, I look at it as, as the father of the house, okay, like I'm the husband, so I feel like I'm the head of the household, I got my kids. I believe that when there's sexual immorality in me, it doesn't just affect me, I believe it affects my house. Like, think of it this way. Think of it as if I'm the protector of the house and, and I open the door for a burglar, 
and there's a burglar inside my house. My kids and my wife are now in jeopardy from a burglar who can kill them and rob them and do bad stuff to them. Well, let's say I don't let a burglar in the house, but let's say I let sexual immorality in me and I live in the house. So now there's sexual immorality living inside me and I'm in the bedroom right next to my kids. So now you know what? I let someone much more dangerous than a burglar. I let the, the, the demon of sexual immorality in my house and he would love to mess up my kids. He would love to mess up my wife. And as the father of the house, it's my responsibility to keep that guy out of there, protect the house. And if you don't think that it'll affect your wife and your kids, think of, okay, earlier we said Solomon. Okay, Solomon's problem was sexual immorality. Where did Solomon learn sexual immorality? Where did he pick up that bad habit from? Not from his wives, from his dad. That was David's problem. David had a problem, couldn't control it, passed it on to his son. And I'm not saying that God is going to punish you with your, I'm not saying it that way. But all I'm saying is a very simple principle we learned very early on in first grade. Monkey see, monkey do. That's a principle of life. If we allow it in, we shouldn't be surprised when it infiltrates our house. So with that, I'm done here. Sorry, I'm going past my time right here. Every week I've been giving you questions to discuss on the way home. Today is really just one question. Just one question, but as a follow-up question to it. I want you to think through it, discuss it if, if, with whoever is appropriate. The question is, how might you be putting your purity at risk? And then the follow-up question, it's really one question. Is it worth it? Is it worth it? Is it worth it? Before you get dressed in that dress that you know is going to attract extra attention, which you like, is it worth it? Before you walk up to that lady in the gym when you're all glistening and whatever, is it worth it? Is the conversation worth it? Before you respond to that Facebook friend request, is it worth it? Married people, think of your spouse. Is it worth it to explain this to your spouse? Is it worth it where, where this story could go and how your kids are gonna respond? Is this worth it for your legacy? Is this something that you are eager to explain to your grandkids? Come on, kid, let me tell you how I threw away my life at the gym that one day. Is that something that you're excited to tell your grandkids? Single people, for you, you're trying to build towards marriage. And I'm telling you, marriage is a beautiful thing. Marriage, think of it as a house. And in marriage, okay, we look at the house and you see, okay, this couple has this in their house, this couple has this, and you see the outside, and you see the first floor and the second floor and the third floor. And I've been married 21 years, so you can see 21 years of floors. But you know what you don't see? You don't see the foundation. And you know what the foundation of every marriage is? Singleness. Because did anybody come out the womb married? Anybody? Did anybody married in kindergarten? No. You're married... And what your married life is based on was your single life, your dating life, your engaged life. But that's the part that's underneath the surface. And I'm telling you, anybody who knows anything about construction, the most important part of the house is the foundation. If you got garbage in the foundation, it's not a matter of we need new drapes for the, for the windows. It's not a matter of let's build an extension for grandma over here. If you got garbage in the foundation, you're going to struggle with that house for the rest of existence. And I'm telling you, single people, you have a chance to build a house. Do not put the junk in the foundation. Do not put the junk in the foundation. And let me tell you this, if you are dating someone who is filled with junk, don't let them bring their junk into your, into your house. Because you realize this, that go from dating to marriage is not a switch. So if you're junk and you're cat poop and you're sexual immorality and now we're married, but don't worry, it'll go away. No, it doesn't go away. It just transitions from the basement into the upstairs. That's all it is. So ask yourself, is it worth it? Is the lifestyle worth it? Is it worth it? The answer is no, a thousand times no, it is not worth it. Because, conclusion, 
You will never receive God's promises apart from obeying his commands. You will never receive God's promises in any aspect of life. But here we're talking about marriage. Apart from obeying his commands. Too many people want the blessing of God, but they ain't ready to do the commands of God. And it just doesn't work that way. God is not anti-fun. God is not anti-sex. God is not anti-pleasure. God is all for those things, but in the right context. And what he's saying is, I have come, he even said, I've come that they may have life and have it to the fullest. I want you to have, I want you to fulfill your desires in the right way. I want to give you the best of the best. And that's what I say to everyone here in this room. Single people, imagine, just imagine with me, walking into marriage guilt-free. Walking into marriage baggage-free, shame-free. None of that stuff coming in with me. And I realize that some of us are saying, okay, but I've already made a mistake, so it's too late. No, it's never too late. It's never too late. Because you know, coming in and saying, you know what, I got some baggage from 10 years ago is different than saying I got some baggage from 10 minutes ago. Saying some baggage from, uh, you know, last night or the night before. So you know what? Yes, we made mistakes. We repented. God forgives us. So I'm not, I'm not saying we, but what I'm saying is the earlier we make the decision to say, you know what? I want to go into marriage with my head held high. I want a story that I can tell my kids that I'm proud of to tell them of when your mother and I first kissed, when your mother and I first, whatever it may be. I want to be proud of that story. And single people, I want you to have that story that you can tell. Married people, I want you to have a home that is an altar, is a sanctuary, is a place where God dwells. And I'm telling you, the fastest way to lose God in your home is sexual immorality. The fastest way to sink the Titanic is sexual immorality. You put some sexual immorality, all the blessing of God goes right out. So I want you to come home to a house filled with the angels and the saints, filled with the presence of God. And the number one way that you can do that is by protecting against sexual immorality. And I promise you, you commit to God's standards, you will experience God's blessings. Let's stand together for a prayer. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. We thank you, Lord, for the, the chances that you've given to us here today to like start anew. Forgive us, Lord, for the way that we've allowed the world to poison us with sexual immorality. Help us to see things the way you see it, Lord, and to walk not even a hint, not even a hint of sexual immorality in our lives. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, with the prayers and intercessions of all your saints. Hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. <laughs>